This podcast is produced by Unedited. I think that, you know, to answer your question, I think self-care and self-nurturing and change within is, it has to be the first step. Otherwise, Mm. you know, what good are you to to the movement, really? Hello and welcome to episode 165 of In The Moment with me, Alex Manzi. And this is a podcast designed to help you find more clarity in your thinking, stillness in your mind, and ultimately help you experience a greater sense of happiness in your life. And having been through my own battles with depression and anxiety, I decided to create this platform to challenge the way you think and invite you to live in the moment. So before we jump into this week's episode, I just want to invite you to take a moment to check in with yourself. And what I mean by that is just check in with how you're feeling emotionally, check in with how you're feeling mentally, because I know there's a lot of things going on in the world right now. And for me, the past few days, I've been feeling a real fuzz in my head and lots of sort of anxious feelings and, 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 you know, anxiety inducing thoughts and stuff. So I just want you to take this moment, just just check in with how you're feeling, how you're really doing and do this often because it's, it's important that we do this to check in with ourselves and notice what's going on because then we can adapt to it and, and do the things that are, are good for us. Like I've taken more time over the last few days to spend less amount of time on my phone, on my laptop. Uh, I went out for a nice long walk all by myself the other day and it's like the first time I'd really spent more than an hour by myself um, since lockdown began so that was really great and really refreshing so just take a moment now to check in with yourself notice how you're feeling and just remember to always continually do that throughout the day and throughout the weeks so on this week's episode i am joined by emma foster gearing who is the head of sustainability at vivo barefoot where she is leading the charge with a passion on the topical pursuit of our time the ecological crisis So for me, it's really important to bring these kind of conversations to the podcast because I'm also really passionate about the state of our environment and what we can all do to help. And what I love about this episode with Emma is that she's very, very forthcoming in how awful a role most big businesses are playing, having previously worked at Burberry and Primark. She's kind of seen that firsthand, which is what I love about Vivo Barefoot because they're making a very conscious effort to do better. And you guys know that I recently went traveling and when I did... I bought a pair of their shoes just before I went away because I knew that I was going to be doing a lot of walking. So I wanted to make sure that I had the best shoe that was, you know, for the health of my feet, really. But when I was researching the company, I was really, really impressed by the work that they're doing to create 100% sustainability across all of their products. And that really struck me because there's not too many companies that are doing things on quite a, you know, biggish scale in that way. Um, you know, unlike some businesses, which are just there to churn out as much as they can to maximize their profits, and don't give a crap about the wider picture. So that's why I wanted to get Emma on this podcast episode and hear about her role and the things that they're doing at Vivo. So during this conversation, we spoke about ways that we can live more sustainably day to day, the problem with words like vegan and sustainable, and making change from the ground up. So the aim of this podcast is to inspire. So if you like what you're hearing this episode, be sure to share it with a friend and spread the love. But right now, let's jump straight in and hear from Emma. Emma, how are you? Hey, I'm doing really well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good, thanks. I think, um, you know, we've just been t- talking off mic to kind of warm up and I kind of realised really quickly how hot my bedroom is recording this and I'm like already like, oh my God, we haven't even started. I'm already like sweating it out. <laughs> <laughs> it is really hot today. Although I do love the idea that in the UK is like one really hot day over 25 degrees and every Britain is like, oh, I need to go get air conditioning. <laughs> and I'm like, this is middle of winter temperature in Australia. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. It's crazy, isn't it? Like I, when, when I see like my, I got family in Perth. So when I see them, in like November and it's like 25 degrees and they're wrapped up in like jackets and stuff. I'm like, pretty sure that's quite hot. (laughs) (laughs) 
absolutely. <laughs> well, I shouldn't complain. It's been nice weather while we're all been in lockdown, right? Yeah, exactly. It's, per- it's perfect for you because, like, especially if you've got an outdoor space and you're lucky enough to have a garden or even be able to go to a park near you, it's like great weather to just go outside for an hour or so, isn't it? Yeah, I'm a surfer, so I'm, I'm uh, itching to go- kind of get in the car and get down to Devon as soon as we're allowed to do it. I bet, I bet. Well, did you see, um, was it South End Beach the other day? It was like jam-packed with people. It was crazy. I know, right? I don't know how they're going to be able to control it, honestly. I, I honestly don't understand how. It's such beautiful weather and everyone wants to be outside. I have no yeah. idea what's going to happen. I don't, know. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't think anyone knows. That's the, that's the crazy thing about it. It's just like, this is the situation we're in there. No one kind of knows how to handle it. And it's just, it's good because it, you know, we should be handling it in this way. But it's also like, how do you stop people going to the beach on a sunny day? So you can't close yeah. the beach. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I mean, some, so much stuff is just so unknown right now. I think one of my biggest bugbears has been that people are kind of like, oh, look, you know, the environment's recovering and we can see the water in, in Venice and, and mm. all these things. But, you know, I can tell you, I, I live on the flight path in Heathrow and, and there's planes coming over every five minutes again. And, wow. and you know, uh, like everyone's planning on, on upping their sales come, uh, come opening time again. Yeah, it's so, crazy, uh, isn't it? I kind of choose to believe that it's not going to be the environmental dream that we're all imagining when we, when we get going again, you know? No, but I, I do, I do think, or at least I hope it will make us think a little bit differently about, you know, some of the stuff that you said, like, you know, we've seen such drastic change in the environment in a good way in terms of like the stuff in Venice. And I think even the weather is testament to that. It's like, it's like, it's like nature has a, a chance to breathe again. And I hope that we kind of, learn from that and we don't go as wild i don't know if that's going to happen or not but i think you know it'd be nice to at least have people considering it you know yeah i think it's definitely woken a whole lot of people up you know not just from the environmental perspective but also from the health perspective and i mean maybe even more so from the health perspective people Mm. have realized the importance of looking after their immunity um and the importance of eating organic and, and and shopping local and growing their own food and all of this stuff where you know, stuff we used to take for granted. Mm. You're seeing a resurgence in that now. And I'm sure you've spoken to some people that, you know, are real experts in this space that are talking about this resurgence in interest in health and mm-hmm. nutrition and even going above and beyond and talking about like, how do I become invincible against these viruses, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and obviously everything's all intertwined. I, I'm slightly pessimistic about the environmental situation just because like I, you know, I have a lot of contacts in the space and, um, I've heard a lot about, there's, you know, for example, there's six new plastic factories being built in the US because wow. oil price is so low and plastics are now being used ubiquitously because they're perceived to be preventative of disease spread. Um, and a lot of oil, new oil and gas sites are being pushed through because the political situation is focused on other things. So, you know, the environmental regulations that were there and, and pressure that was there is disappearing. So I'm slightly concerned mm. um, that big business um, is kind of using the opportunity to, to push some agendas that they maybe wouldn't have got through before all of this. But at the same time, you, you know, the consumer's never been more powerful um, and we know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that if everyone could hope the way you do, then maybe we'll stand a chance to come out of this, something yeah. different, you know? But I do, I do think though there is like a conscious ra- raising of of people just being more aware of it. Like, you know, for me, the whole kind of environmental thing and sustainability thing has kind of really been prevalent in my thinking for like the past probably year and a half. Like I've always kind of cared, don't get me wrong, but like really and truly being like, okay, right, 
what can I do? And it's interesting because like, you know, your, your job title is head of sustainability at Vivo Barefoot. So it's like, what does that even mean? Like, what does a head of sustainability do at a company? You know, it's, like, it's, it's, it's job titles and roles that wouldn't have existed. So it's like, I mean, the fact that you're asking that question shows that you understand it, you know, you're in the top 5% of people that actually <laughs> understand how complicated it is. Yeah. I like to tell people that I'm a professional shin kicker. <laughs> and all I, you know, it's ironic that companies employ me to kind of come in into the business and just run around kicking everyone and be like, come on, think big picture. You know, that's not the right thing to do. What about this? What about that? And I, I constantly kind of challenge businesses in the most academic way or, or common sense way possible to think about life outside of the four walls of their budgets, you know. Mm. Um, but at the end of the day, I think there's a really funny cartoon that I, I constantly refer to where, it, you know, it's a whole lot of people in a crowd and a guy at a lectern and he says, right, who believes in change? And everyone puts their hand up. And then oh, yeah. he says, well, who actually wants to change? And everyone puts their hand out. And that's just a day in the life of a head of sustainability, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That is, yeah. I've seen that. That is, that really took me as well. I was like, it's so true, isn't it? We all talk about it. We all talk it. We've all got the trousers. We all give it the big chat, but then no one like walks the walk. So it's like, yeah, yeah it's fascinating. So, so what, what's some of the stuff then that you, you focus on like with, yeah. with Vivo, like what has come some of the work that you're doing to kind of help that from a kind of, like you said, business perspective, but looking at the wider picture at the same time. Yeah. So it's obviously always very different in different businesses, what sustainability people do. Um, in some of the worst businesses or brands, you could say that they're a PR spot and they're kind of there to keep the dirty stuff away from the inside of the mm -hmm. business. And I've been that person. Um, in some businesses, they're an enabler where you play a role between perhaps uh, you know, government and regulation and what the business wants to achieve. And you can dress it up and say, you know, I'm only going to kill two of these five species of animals and you'll get the approval to go and build a big, you know, mm. oil plant. And again, I've been that person. Um, but then, you know, really wonderfully, I came to Vivo a nearly a year ago now um, at a time where I was about to give up and go and build a teeny house and live on an island. Um, and I met Galahad, who's the CEO and he's seventh generation social entrepreneurial business Clark's family legacy. Um, mm. And he convinced me that he really wanted to show that business could be a vehicle for good. So I sit actually at the top table at Vivo. Mm. Um, and I, I basically look over everything from governance structures. So, you know, how do we come up with strategy? How do we um, implement that? How do we report to shareholders? Where are we putting finances? Where are we, all of those wonderful bureaucratic things that we need to rethink, right, in order to redesign the system we live in, mm -hmm. um, all the way down to kind of product innovation. So looking at new materials, looking at things where we could be not just doing a little less bad to the planet, but actually being regenerative in every single way possible. So things like hemp, when yeah. you grow a hemp plantation, it actually, I'm sure you know this, but it actually improves the biodiversity of the environment. So looking more into stuff like that. Um, and then I also work on the supply chain side. Um, so helping to find good factories and, and try and eliminate the complexity that's in that inherently in that, in this industry. Um, and then I also work, you know, I work across all the departments, quite frankly, I obviously work in the marketing team. We've just recently launched a podcast where we realize that we can't do a lot of the stuff that we do because um, the 
industry is basically have started to launch a podcast which looks into how we can be more or better at this change for their able us to kind of be part of the solution collectively so that we wouldn't necessarily be able to fix uh, ourselves. And we're kind of inviting people to kind of come in and challenge that. So um, I've got, luckily I've got six people in my team at the moment. Wow. Um, a lot of other really, really big businesses couldn't say they have that many people. Yeah. Um, so it's a really cool place to be. And I, I can a hundred percent say that I get to be myself, which yeah. is really all we can ask for. Right. Yeah. It's, it sounds, it sounds really cool. Cause it sounds like it's a real big passion within the company. And obviously, you know, to a certain extent, I guess it is, but I mean, in the terms of like, it's like th- this idea informs a lot of the decisions from production right down to who works for the company, right down to, you know, who, you know, there's so many amazing kind of influencers who, you know, support the brand and stuff like that. And it, it all kind of seems to tie in very well. And it's like, everyone's on their own little personal journey with that as well. But I'm interested like in your journey because you've alluded to, you know, having been this person at other companies and I know you worked for like Burberry and Primark, which like almost the opposite end. They're like total, well, Burberry's not so much fast fashion, but like Primark's fast fashion. Burberry's obviously like high end, but yeah. you know, quite a well kind of sought after brand. So how, how's your journey changed in terms of like obviously getting into the fashion industry to then understanding this um passion i guess that you have for sustainability to then getting you to where you are now yeah um that's the million dollar question right (laughs) um so i sorry um basically i was a little kind of you know surfer kid growing up on the beaches in sydney um and realized that Australia was doing a stunningly epic job of destroying their natural environment which we've recently witnessed Mm. in the bushfires and you know, insert major crisis here. Um, and, and I think that I kind of grew up and I wanted to change the system from a very young age. Maybe it wasn't called that then, but it was definitely that. And I have managed to keep that level of naivety actually now 30 years into my life, which is wonderful. Um, so the solution was to work with the big guys, right? I always thought if I could influence the big guys, then I could ultimately influence the system. So I studied engineering of all things and learned how the system worked. And I ended up working for, you know, Chevron, BHP, like, you know, BP, the big guys um, in Australia, because I I thought fossil fuel companies ruled the world and to a large degree they do. Um, And then kind of got disillusioned because the, you know, the bureaucracy of those companies is so intensely complicated that, Anytime you get anywhere close to influencing something, you, you know, you can't. Mm. So I started to do a PhD to, to look into basically corporation setup and, and sustainability and how you could get management-based theory, which I won't bore you with right now, to achieve ultimately a kind of wonderful utopian avatar outcome for the world that we want. Um, and when I came over to the UK to present my first paper, um, I was asked to kind of work for Burberry. And at the time I thought, oh, well, firstly, who is this? Because Burberry's just not an Australian brand, right? Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah. And then once I looked into it, I thought, you know what? Like fashion brands influence millions and millions of lives. This is true culture change mm-hmm. where if you can send a message through this brand, this product, you know, this lifestyle, then ultimately you could you could really make some serious change. So I stayed at Burberry for a couple of years and you know, they have a wonderful responsibility program. I'm not going to say sustainability because I don't think it's quite there, but they do a really good job of just 
trying not to ruin the world while they do business, right? Um, (laughs) And then I was was poached ultimately kind of go across to Primark. And the reason I I moved there instead of going back to Australia (laughs) was basically because um, I was going to be employed by their owner company. Um, And their owner company is one of the biggest companies in the entire world. They're called Associated British Foods. They're owned by the Western family. They're like Mm -hmm. the fifth richest family in the entire world. And I thought, you know, here's me kind of getting my hands closer to where the real things happen in the world, right? Um, and I, you know, I sweet at ABF. Um, and it was fascinating and such a good experience. In the like four years, I, I kind of got to try and influence what they call the Red Book, which is like the book they give out to CEOs to tell mm. them how to run their businesses. Wow. And I thought, you know what, this is the secret, right? This is the secret. If you could put something in there about like, please don't fuck up the planet while you're running this business. Like that's the pin. And they just, you know, they refuse to do that. Like they, one of the most pure play profit driven businesses in the world. Right. Mm. Um, And they, they, you know, they have their hands around um, agricultural businesses and chemical businesses and things like that. So like I said, I kind of gave up at all at the end of that and came to Vivo and, and Vivo is this wonderful kind of Mecca for, you know what, we're going to do things differently. Mm. Like, and the whole management team, and as you say yourself, that all their ambassadors, every single one of the persons that are leading in this community want to do things differently. And collectively, we, I mean, we really have a power. It's, it's mm. quite cool. Yeah, it sounds it. And it's, it, what strikes me is like the, the, the balance between, because I was having this, weirdly having this conversation the other day with someone on Instagram about, change and and how how change is really and truly implemented and i'm very much as you can probably gather like change has to come from the person and if the person can change then that can lead to greater change down the line but they were coming from the angle of actually change needs to start at the very top like how can how can how can you change systems if this this and this doesn't change so we're having this like really interesting debate like via the dms of like whether change starts at the top and it comes down and influences the rest of society or whether the change comes from individuals and then it spreads out and influences the rest of society. So where kind of do you sit in that? How do you see it working within that kind of dynamic of creating change? Is it like a thing that has to start with little things from the bottom and individuals or is is it something that can work top down? Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's one easy answer, but I mean, it's the age old thing about doctors, right? Mm. I mean, you can't, you can't go and treat a patient unless you treat yourself right, yourself properly first. And I, and I, and I just think that it's, it's, an, it's an age-old adage with sustainability people because, um, and I recently interviewed um, a lady called Laura Storm who's written a book called Regenerative Leadership. You're nodding. I'm, I'm sure you've read it. It's absolutely wonderful. It's like my Bible <laughs> on my shelf there. Um, and she leads courses, which you would think you go in there and you learn how to kind of like, run big businesses but the first thing you do is learn how to self-care and how to self-nurture because if i have to go into work today and to deal with some of the climate statistics that are coming out or you know obesity statistics that Mm. are coming out or the statistics around i mean quite frankly right now today there are thousands of people dying in bangladesh because one of the biggest typhoons that they've ever seen ever because of climate change is going through right now and is just absolutely decimating um their area and 
you know, that didn't make the news mm-hmm. and, and, but it makes my table. And I, you know, I have to wake up every morning and see all these things and, and read all these things and not just see them and read them, but be an expert in them. I have to know them. And then I have to go to a meeting where someone's telling me, oh, we need to sell more of this or we need to make more money. And, and it's so hard for me to kind of tune into that when that was where I started. That was my starting point. And, and actually Galahad, our CEO, is incredibly empathetic towards that. And he, he constantly kind of encourages me um, to kind of go home and self-nurture because he realizes that burden that people like me have yeah. to kind of carry around every day. So I think that, you know, to answer your question, I think self-care and self-nurturing and change within is it has to be the first step. Otherwise, mm. you know, what good are you to the, to the movement really? Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's like sorry said, to sound so radical, but no, it's, I don't think that is radical. Cause I think, I think radical is expecting massive change to happen in an instant. I think that's radical. I think starting mm. with yourself and self-care and self-nurturing, like you so kind of eloquently put it is is not that radical at all because it's all something that we can do in our day-to-day lives every day, you know? And I feel yeah. like that's where part of my journey started with like, like I said, becoming more interested in just the environment in general was like when I started to really take more care of myself, because once you sort of take care of yourself and you start to open yourself up to like this compassion for like, you know, life and, and the world around you, you, you start to look at even like little flowers differently. Do you know what I mean? All of a sudden you, you can appreciate them. And then once you can start to appreciate them and like the beauty of nature and, you know, just birds flying in the sky or whatever it is, it's like, you then think like, wow, how can I, how can I stop us destroying all of this? You know, that's like the next kind of, you, you go down that path and then you start to question like, okay, so what are the things that I can do? And then, like you said, you, you might get to a stage where you get really overwhelmed by like all these stats of like obesity and all these, you know, crazy things that happening in the world and like ice caps melting and everything but like what what do you think is like i guess possible for us in terms of like a way that we can all live more sustainably day to day in like our individual lives because it's not always such a big radical like okay you have to like do all these massive changes in your lives are there like small things that you can do every day to to help support that yeah i mean i get asked this question a lot and I probably have a slightly controversial answer to this um, in that I, I have been exposed to the really terrible, awful things that we're doing to the planet mm-hmm. um, and that we continue to do to the planet. And I've seen uh, just absolute murderous extraction of resources and destruction of, of habitats um, and, you know, really horrendous kind of corrupt business practices and, and human rights violations to last me and, and a million other people a lifetime. Um, so I, I struggle with the kind of advice around go home and recycle and use less and buy less and, you know, buy organic. And, and, mm. and I'm not like in any way degrading that lifestyle because you know quite frankly i live mostly like that does that stuff make Um, a difference though in uh, the big picture yeah i mean ultimately yes absolutely because consumer power is is god right like it it really is especially now with the power of social media and, and people being able to kind of challenge companies and brands very easily these days absolutely it is and that comes onto what i do say people should do which is challenge brands and challenge businesses and leave no stone unturned. And, you know, I was recently on a a parliamentary discussion around the future of legislation and waste. 
Mm. Um, and, and quite interestingly, there's a lot of um, the energies changed in the last six months, hugely, uh, with people who would have maybe preferred a more conservative approach before are now advocating for things like, well, let's put this initiative out there and we'll watch all the brands who really care about this come to the plate and then all the rest of them will hang them with their own nightmare, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. So I think that I think there's a, you know, to put it really simply, get on Twitter, get on Instagram, get on Facebook, get on Trustpilot, get on all these things. And I mean, before COVID, you could, when they deliver, that you can do it now in COVID, but things like that is accountable for this stuff. Because mm. I can tell you right now, when I was working at Primark, every single letter that people wrote to us was read. Is that, that advocacy, that kind of challenge for me is the most powerful thing you can possibly do. Mm. So it's, it's about more challenging the kind of bigger picture as well as implementing like daily things to, to create the kind of change really. Yeah, I don't think it's one or the other. I think it has yeah. to be definitely both. Um, but one of the biggest problems, and again, I don't really know how controversial your podcast wants to be, but, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, one of the biggest things is that there's this kind of weird businesses realize that increasing brand trust through thinking, you know, making people think that they were attending to this issue, um, worked. <laughs> so this huge wave of greenwash that's come about in the last couple of years, um, also collided with the fact that a lot more people care about this mm. and, and feeling really anxious about it and want to feel like they're part of the solution. And so one of the problems is that a lot of what people think they're doing in terms of those at home solutions aren't necessarily the most scientifically robust solutions. Um, I, an example I'll kind of come to, and I'm sure this will get you some fiery responses <laughs> is that at the moment, a lot of people are perceiving that vegan leather is a better environmental option. Um, and I'm quite an outspoken a person around the challenges there for multiple, multiple reasons. Um, not least that, it, you know, vegan leather is, is largely plastic. Um, you know, Vivo has played around with lots of plant-based vegan leather alternatives, but quite frankly, they're either not good enough quality and they fall apart almost straight away, or they just can't be made into footwear. So people are obviously kind of succeeding at make, making them into tote bags, for example, mm -hmm. where they, you know, the simple structure and the fact that you're not stepping on it every five minutes means that you can use it. Um, but when you, when you come into footwear, it, it's such a different ball game and, and you've got issues like, yes, it might have some cactus in it, but actually it's still 95% synthetic, virgin synthetic, fossil fuel based, terrible, going to be on this planet for 500 more mm. years, plastic. So, um, you know, marketeers all around the world have been loving the idea that they write vegan and everyone goes, wow, environmentally better. And, and people aren't interrogating that and, and asking questions around that kind of thing. And the same goes with carbon. I mean, a lot of brands, particularly Evian recently on Earth Day, released a thing about being carbon neutral. I'm sorry, they make plastic bottled water. I'm sorry, you do not get to get I'm an environmental solution badge as a business because yeah. you've paid nothing into a carbon market to offset your perceived GHG emissions or not even GHG emissions, just pure carbon yeah. um, so that you can get this kind of greenwashing win, right? And it, it, there's so much complexity to it and the desperation from comms and marketing to, to really be so reductive and really boil these things down to the simple and digestible, I think is offensive. I think we insult people's intelligence. 
Yeah. And I think, I think you're right there when you mentioned like brands attaching the word vegan to things to make it seem like it's more sustainable or better for the environment or better for your health. And it's like, if you don't do the, the legwork behind that and actually look into it, you, like you, more often than not, you realize that actually, so for example, right. So I was having this uh, conversation the other day cause I'm, I'm vegetarian. So like my family kind of poke like jokes at me all the time about it. So my dad bought like this vegan mayonnaise and he was looking on the back of the packet and he was like, Oh, did you know like the vegan mayonnaise is actually worse for you than like the normal one? And I was like, what do you mean? So he started like reading the, you know, the, the ingredients list on the back and the percentages and stuff. And I was yeah. like, to be fair, it's probably because they've just taken out one thing, which is an animal based product. And they've just replaced it with a load of other crap. Like it doesn't mean because it says vegan that it's healthy. That's not what vegan yeah. is like. But I think we yeah. get, there, there is some confusion around like words like vegan and sustainability and eco-friendly and all these things. And, and they're used now as marketing tools rather than the actual good that they're supposed to represent you know and it's like it does become quite frustrating in that sense i guess doesn't it absolutely and i and i think just to clarify there is absolutely no doubt scientifically that intensive factory farming of animals is nothing short of an absolute criminal Mm -hmm. offense and it should be outlawed in every sense of the word um but there are opportunities for regenerative animal agriculture to be part of the solution both from an environmental and a health perspective. I recently interviewed a guy called Ben McNutt, who's a survival expert, and he's a really big advocate for, um, you know, wild game um, mm. and, and, and catching it and kind of pulling it apart and kind of respecting the animal and every single bit of it and using everything and, and kind of, and, and of course, eating less. I mean, eating less meat. Mm. Boom. Like, can't argue with that. Absolutely needs to happen. Um, but I don't think, and then my point is that it's never as simple as you know, as it seems, right? And we have to be more informed in order to dig into those things. And I think that, you know, for example, we got an inquiry the other day about someone saying, oh, you know, you're absolutely terrible because your shoe's not waterproof. Well, did you know that the waterproofing on the market right now causes cancer? Did you know that? Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like, how can we have a safer space so that we can discuss that, yes, it might be more convenient for you to have to apply a beeswax to that shoe, um, and reapply that, but actually the kind of, you know, it's much better for your health and it's much better for the environment. And, and, and I think the thing that Vivo does really wonderfully is that we never see the two as separate topics, mm. you know, environment and health are absolutely intrinsically linked in every single sense of the word down from the products to what we say, how we work with our community. Um, you know, it's just absolutely one and the same. And, and that's a really powerful thing, I think. Yeah, for sure. And how how does it work then with like even the manufacturing of the product? Because I'm sure there's a lot of element to, you know, a lot of part of the problem of, you know, a lot of fashion is that stuff is 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 made in such a terrible way for such a cheap price for, you know, all of these sort of different reasons, which then further down the line lead to like terrible things for the environment, et cetera, et cetera. So what are like some of the methods and stuff that you guys do that are maybe different? I don't I mean I literally don't know. I'm asking genuinely like what are the things that you do like is there different processes in place is there like do you get it made in a certain place like obviously certain materials yeah i think vivo has some incredible examples of best practices as as much as it has some very traditional you know shoe industry bad stuff going on And, and they're the first to admit that because um 
you know, that's just the way it is in this industry right now. And, and that's, again, why we're trying to do stuff like the podcast and, and, and lobbying and advocacy because we really want the industry to shift. Um, our co-founder, Asher Clark, would want me to mention our, our kind of big push into the world of local sourcing, locally made, supernatural, super minimalistic products. So very much from the start we already think, do we absolutely need to have it? Mm. Or do we absolutely need to make it? Like, that's the first question we ask. And what does that mean, like local sourcing and local made? What does that mean versus non-local and non, you know? Yeah, I mean, if you've ever seen a kind of map of a, of a um, supply chain, like, I mean, if you start at the very start, an average shoe has over 100 different components in it. Mm. An average running shoe has over 100 wow. different components. That means 100 different supply chains. Wow. And an average supply chain usually has about 10 factories along sure. that supply chain as well. So, I mean, the complexity in this industry is just absolutely mind-boggling. Um, so, you know, one of the first things I did with our product team when I started was just absolutely minimize that. So, did we need to put a phone there? Did we need to put that, um, it's called NOSO, which is essentially an aesthetic, um, you know, outer that just gives you a really nice clean line. Do we need to have that? Um, cause that's another three factories. That's another three supply chains. Um, you know, lots of that stuff in it. And I think that it's one of the things that we talk about where you're just continually passing the buck further and further down the line and the working costs get, you know, less and less and less and the environmental issues get higher and higher and higher further down the line. So our, our great examples of where we've overcome that issue are massively what we've done in Ethiopia, where we've helped set up our own manufacturing line out there, which is essentially two factories. Um, we employ local, um, local staff and, and we run it in incredibly kind of a fair trade manner out there. Um, and, but, and then Portugal as well as our other kind of wonderful, kind of very simple, quite artisan um, manufacturing line out there as well. Um, but then our biggest problem is Asia and that's where we do our really technical footwear there's just no other option for really technical really durable footwear unfortunately right now yeah. um we're looking into things like 3d obviously we absolutely have to um but there's obviously issues with that as well right you know it's our obligation to look after the workers in our supply chain and not you know say goodbye to them as technological solution comes along um, yeah. And there's still massive issues with 3D. We're really, really reluctant to move into 3D until we have a recyclable material. Yeah. At the moment, they're all obviously very virgin, synthetic-based materials that don't really have options for recycling. So we're looking to close the loop before we massively run into that. Um, and, and at the same time, we still have just as equal priority on supernatural products. So. Mm. Um, but, but again, like I'm just going to put my hands up and say like our age of supply chains are total mess. Yeah. It really is. And, and all we can do is keep waking up every morning and keep trying to make it better and make real structural changes to try and, you know, kind of overcome those issues. But, you know, we're like 1% business in these factories. Yeah. We're like nothing. Yeah. So unless the big boys want to change and, and consumers put pressure on the big boys to change. Yeah. So what, what, uh, what do you think one. then needs to be done to take it to that next level? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> that is the million dollar question. Yeah. I mean, I personally don't believe the answer is stop consuming. I don't believe yeah. that. I, I have to believe that business can be the engine, the vehicle uh, for solutions. 
I think what Vivo is doing right now is splitting products up into two very separate categories. So either going super synthetic where we can have a fully closed loop where mm-hmm. it's, it's a synthetic material made in a lab that keeps going round and round in the same cycle. Um, or you can have a supernatural, which is basically where we're coming up with options where you can pull it apart effectively at the end of the life. And it's a massively beautiful, natural, sustainably farmed rubber, um, which can either be used again or it can be put in your backyard. Um, or a wonderful, beautiful kind of wild hide leather, or a hemp, or a cotton, or even a tensile, which is a wood-based fiber, um, which can either be used again if it's good enough quality or um, chemically recycled, ideally, um, into, a, into a new product again. So it's all about you know, designing those solutions in, because if we just keep adding more and more product that, that doesn't have those solutions as part of it, you know, we, we continue to be part of the problem. But the last part of that as well, and, and Vivo is in this shift at the moment, is moving from a consumer goods company to a platform-based company mm. where we're moving into selling and, and having you know, business growth as a result of non-product-based experiences. So we're moving into digital education and coaching. Oh, wow. We've got, as you mentioned yourself, an incredible ambassador network. So we're looking at opportunities to connect with those ambassadors and then kind of connect them with our community around the world um, we're also looking into in-person based retreats. So watch this space. We have a wonderful new project coming up in the, in the Lake District up north in, in the UK where we're looking at getting people out in nature, being barefoot, you know, learning these skills. Um, so we're looking at moving more into having a real platform-based you know, Uber-type model where the shoe is just part of the service that Vivo offers. And I, I find that really, really exciting. So Yeah, that sounds amazing. That sounds like a... You know, it's like, like like a 360 kind of approach to, to everything. It's not just about exactly. the shoe, which, you know, ultimately you're making shoes, but it's not just about the shoe. It's about the wider impact and, and helping, you know, put that out there and spread that and kind of, you know, just doing that good. And I think a lot of us forget that even like in our day-to-day lives as we forget about the kind of wider impact of things, you know, be it consuming, be it whatever like even the way we act, you know what I mean? We forget the wider impact it has like, and how that knocks on. And I think when you, when you can start to think of things like that in a bigger picture and start to understand it a bit more, you, you, you do take more care. And I think that's, that's what's really struck me from this conversation is like the taking care of, of a process, which as you said, is quite shitty, <laughs> you know, in a lot of, in a lot of it, you know, in, in, in all of the industry, you know, and many industries, and this is just one industry, you know? So, yeah, I think it's great to see that there's such amazing work being done, you know, and it's to me, it means that we are going somewhere in the right direction, you know, <laughs> some way or the other, you know, which is just really great. But is, is there anything you've kind of learned through this whole kind of coronavirus lockdown process, um, which maybe you might not have come across in normal kind of in the office every day kind of stuff? Yeah, I think it's got to be the power of the people, right? It's got to be the power of the people. I mean, pre-COVID, we saw advocacy groups like Extinction Rebellion um, kind of making a lot of noise and, and, and shifting culture. Mm. Um, and then during COVID, we've just seen people take it on their own backs to do that, right? And, and people have been just absolutely bedroom warriors mm. but in an awesome way. And I think everyone's kind of coming together and we're all realizing that, oh, we're not, you know, we're in infallible like we, we we're not invincible we we're all 
touched by this stuff and we're all connected and we're all part of the one system and therefore we all have a hugely important role to play collectively in, in the solution finding. So I'm not the most hopeful person, but um, I, I believe in action and I think I'm seeing a ton of action and, and that's the most exciting thing for me, I think. Mm. Well, I think that's it, isn't it? I think action leads to hope. I think if you've got the hope with no action, then it's always going to feel hopeless. <laughs> but if you're, if, you're, if you're making that action, again, it comes down to making the individual change and the little things adding up to the bigger picture, isn't it? It's like, if you can see that action in place and be that, you know, talking sustainability, be that, you know, coming out of a, a dark hole in your life, be it, you know, whatever relationships, be it, whatever it is, as long as you, that action is there and you can, you can start to have the hope about the thing, you know? And I think that's a totally yeah, really great. Yeah, really really great. great as well. Uh, that it was, it's mental health week this week as yes. well. And I think it's, um, I think that's really on point, you know, it's about having that mental strength yourself and knowing that, you know, you have that confidence and that ability and um, the world sees you, right? The world sees you. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And that's it. I think that's a beautiful message to kind of round up on. So thank you for the time today. It's been a really, for me, it's been a really eye-opening or ear-opening maybe conversation. I don't know which way to put it. <laughs> um, but, Not because so of my accent, time. hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> no, it just it's kind of opened my mind to a lot of things, which, which is great. And it's great to kind of hear more from the inside of how, you know, industries and companies are trying to inform change within themselves, but also to try and inform that on the bigger picture. I think, you know, it is much needed, you know, because we are in a position where, you know, we are strangling our own, you know, planet. So we need to kind of understand the things that are, that are happening that what we can do to kind of help that as well. Cause yeah, I think and that's the best thing that, conversation. The best thing that I can leave us on is, is it, from that message is, it's just like it, the time for talking about the problems of, of how we're strangling our planet is over, right? Like mm. this is where we just kind of, you know, right. It's time. Let's get on with it. Yeah. You know, it's time to just, take that action get on with it <laughs> it's true it's true it's true so do you want to um before we sign out shout out where people can check out more of your work and like where they can find their vivo barefoots or if, you know where they can find you online as well if they want to see more of what you're doing yeah sure um well we just recently launched a, our own podcast series which is in no means anywhere near as professional as yours but um the vivo barefoot regeneration podcast you can find it on all major platforms uh probably the best place to go is spotify um and yeah just jump on the website have a look at it get in touch we're really happy to have a conversation and um you can find me on instagram uh emma foster gearing and vivo barefoot on instagram as well so get in touch and i look forward to hearing from some people awesome thanks well, for having thanks, me emma. that was great Cheers. thank you so there we have it i hope that you enjoyed this episode a little bit different to normal but also super important you know there's so many important messages there from what emma was talking about from you know some of the things that go on in this world with big businesses it's quite shocking really and when you really deep it and understand it you start to really get an idea of like these companies really don't care about what's happening in the shape and the space of the environment they're just doing things for themselves and it it makes me a bit sad to be honest because there's so much beauty and, and things out there in the world and we can really play our part in, you know, helping that. And like Emma said, you know, consuming less probably isn't always the, the right option. But I think going about the way that you consume and you buy things, be more conscious of what it is that you're doing, what you're buying, where the products are coming from. And not just going to straight to the high streets and buying into the, the big grind of stuff that's just churning out rubbish in the world. So hopefully that this episode has inspired you a little bit about that. And if you liked what you heard, then please be sure to leave a review and even better, hit the subscribe button so that you get the latest episode straight to your phone. 
And if you know someone who you think would really benefit from hearing this episode, be sure to send them the link or a screenshot because it's important that we continue to spread the positive messages and vibes of episodes like this. I started this podcast to help inspire positive change and you can also be a part of that by sharing the love. So as ever, you can connect with me on Instagram at I am Alex Manzi. I'm always there. You can pop over, say, hey, let me know what you learned from this episode in particular. I'd be really interested to hear it and I will connect with you there. But until then, thank you for listening and I'll see you for the next episode. This podcast is produced by Unedited.